Well, hey, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Glad you're here at Alice Drive. We want to make 2022 a year of hope because, frankly, I think our world could use some more hope. I think our communities could use some more hope. I know I can use some more hope, and I bet you could use some more hope. And the verse that we're trying to uh, memorize this year so it will guide us is Romans 15, 13. And I've been asking you to repeat it kind of as a weekly reminder to let's put this truth of Jesus into our souls. So I want you to read this verse again with me. We're going to keep working on memorizing it through the year. And let's read it like our coffee has kicked in. Let's go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that tells us some important things. It tells us God is a God of hope. And it tells us that he wants us to have the Spirit cause hope to overflow. But it also tells us something else very important, that hope is a byproduct. In other words, if I just get up in the morning and I say, I'm going to be hopeful, usually doesn't work. Instead, when God fills us with his presence, with his peace, with his joy, that's when we become people of hope. Hope is the byproduct. And so to be people of hope, what we've been exploring is we need to have the mindset of hope. And we're basing this teaching of this series called Mindset on Colossians chapter 3. And what we've learned is we need to focus as Jesus followers on Jesus. And we need to make sure that we stop some old patterns of thinking. We need to put on some new patterns of thinking. And then we need to make sure we keep outfitting ourselves with those new ways of thought. And today we're going to finish up the series by talking about what it means for us to let Jesus make the decisions in our lives. Because ultimately, hope is the result of decisions. Hope is the result of thousands of small decisions that you make every day. Now, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, you understand this. If you start making a lot of bad decisions, they build up over time. I, I've had people come up to me and say, uh, I just feel like I'm in a hopeless marriage. Well, tell me how you think the marriage got there. And they will tell me a story about a thousand small decisions over time that led them to hopelessness. Now, the inverse is also true. Uh, sometimes when I see families and the kids have turned out really well, I ask them, what did you do? What's the secret? What's the secret sauce? And they look at me kind of dumbfounded, and then they will say, well, over time, we made literally thousands of small decisions and that resulted in our kids turning out this way. So what kind of decisions are you making? And this is where the trouble comes. We have trouble admitting, really facing the fact that we make bad decisions. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you make bad decisions in life, you'd all hold up your hand because you're, you're in church, right? Okay. But actually pausing our lives and saying, where are my decisions leading me? We have trouble doing that. I, I read a story about a man named Ray. He was in rehab. And the funny thing is, even though he was in rehab, he kept insisting he was not an alcoholic. He was only in rehab because his wife made him go. And as you may know, in rehab, they do some group work around the 12 steps. The first of the 12 steps is admitting that you're powerless over alcohol. And Ray wouldn't admit it. He said, I can stop drinking anytime. I'm not an alcoholic. And so the group leader said, well, let's just check with your wife about that. 
called the wife on the phone, put her on speakerphone, and said, hey, I'm here in a group and raising the group, and I just want to ask you, is Ray an alcoholic? And she broke down sobbing. And when she got control again, she shared the story of what had happened the previous Christmas Eve when Ray had their three-year-old son in the car. It was bitter cold, 15 degrees, and he stopped at the bar for one drink. Left the little boy in the car. One drink stretched into three hours. When he came out, Good news, the little boy was alive. Bad news, he had such bad frostbite, he lost three toes, two fingers. Now you're saying, I'm not Ray. I'm not in rehab, I would never do that. I get that. But let me tell you what I've experienced. When I look at the man in the mirror as he really is, I find that there are some small decisions I make every day that have led me to some things in my life that just aren't good. They're just not good. And my hunch is that's true for you too. And we can't have hope until we take responsibility for the decisions we make. And if you're struggling right now and saying, I just don't have much hope in my life, let me suggest to you that it may be because you're making decisions that don't lead to hope. So I want us to unpack what it actually means for us to have this mindset of hope and make decisions that will lead to hope. Now this is gonna be a more teaching sermon, so you might wanna take notes. Um, notes are these things that you write on your phone or on a piece of paper, okay, just for those who may not know. Um, and we're gonna look at this passage that was read and we're gonna seek the answer to four questions. And the four questions, I'm gonna go ahead and give them to you now, but don't feel like you have to write them all down now because I'm gonna go back over them. First question is, who makes the call? Second question is, what's the word? Third question is, what's the standard? Fourth question is, what's the attitude? So let's dive in, start with the first question. Who makes the call? Verse 15, Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Okay, so the first thing we hear is the peace of Christ. What's the peace of Christ? The peace of Christ is offered to every person in the world. The peace of Christ starts with Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and then with his resurrection demonstrating that he has the power not only to forgive our sins, but to change our lives. And when you invite Jesus Christ to take charge of your life, when you ask him to forgive your sins, then that peace enters your life. You know that no matter what happens to you, no matter what has occurred in your past, no matter what tragedy might befall you, you have the peace of Jesus Christ. And when it rules in your life, it is above everything in your life. Now that word rule, it comes from a Greek word which means to umpire, to referee. It's the same word that described the judge of ancient Greek athletic contests. So we would think about a guy wearing uh, the black and white stripes, right, with a whistle. What if you gave Jesus the whistle? What would happen in your life? What if you went to him and said, okay, 
Lord, I want you to make the decisions. Now, now let's break this down real practically because here's the truth about all of us. When it comes to making decisions that happens in our hearts, remember our hearts contain our wills, but our wills, our hearts are greatly governed by our thoughts and our emotions. In our thoughts, there are memories. We have strong voices that speak to us. My mother has been dead now for nine years. Yet when I sit down to eat a meal, I still hear her voice. Her voice is telling me, clean your plate. Now, folks, I don't need to clean my plate anymore. You know, and I would gladly package up my leftover food and send it to the starving people in China, but I don't think it's going to make it, and they don't look as hungry as they used to. Why do I still listen to that voice? That's the power of memory. A man told me one time, he said, every time my boss loses his temper, all I can hear is the voice of my father from my childhood berating me for not doing something perfect. That's a powerful voice. But voices from your memory are not the only voices that guide you in decision-making. You also have voices of temptation. Voices of temptation that tell you one more piece of pie won't hurt, right? But remember, where you are today is the result of thousands of small decisions that you made over time. The reason some of you are really struggling is because you have not really paid attention to those small decisions. And that's where we get this entitlement mentality. We say, I deserve this. The consequences don't matter. It's okay for me to steal from work because they don't pay me enough. It's okay for me to cheat on my taxes because the government wastes my money. You hear how we begin to justify decisions? This is why you cannot merely trust yourself as a decision maker. Now, as you mature in Christ, you can trust yourself more. But still, the gold standard is, Jesus, what would you do? If you make this decision, Jesus, what decision would you make? What would happen in your life if Jesus made the final call? Paul goes on to say, since as members of one body you are called to peace, what he's saying has two meanings. F.F. Bruce, the New Testament scholar, points this out. He says, first of all, this has a personal meaning. If Jesus Christ is really making the decisions in your life, his peace will rule and your body, your physical body will feel less stress, less anxiety, because you have put Jesus in charge. But it also has a meaning for God's church, God's people. That there will be peace in the body. Have you ever known churches that fought a lot? Yeah, I bet you have. The reason they do is because the peace of Christ does not rule that church. People forget it's not their church. It's Jesus' church, not my church. It's Jesus' church. I read this week a story about a church in Evansville, Indiana, Fifteen years ago, their community began to change around them, and the church realized it and realized they were going to have to make some decisions about changing how they did ministry. Not change their mission, 
changed the way they did ministry. And the church was on board with this. They were ready to try something. They knew they needed to. They wanted to reach their community. But there were three powerful members of a five-person board who control the church, and they blocked those changes because, frankly, they didn't want people of that color coming to their church. Last week, that church closed its doors for good. So let's be clear. This is not my church. This is not your church. Alice Drive belongs to Jesus. And we want the peace of Christ to rule this body of Christ. So what would happen in your life if Jesus called the shots? What would happen in your life if you let Jesus make the decisions? How would it change your relationships? How would it change how you're dating? How would it change you at work? All right, let's go to the second question. What's the word? What's the word? To understand this, let's look at verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Now, the word the New International Version translates as message is the Greek word logos or logos, um, and it really means truth. It means word. It means the embodiment of Jesus Christ. So what would happen if you let the truth of Jesus Christ dwell in your heart? Now, now here's the reality, right? You are bombarded daily by messages that lie to you. Thousands upon thousands of commercial messages that lie to you, and yet we believe them. I'll give you an example. Apparently, and I've used this before, so if you've heard it, you'll understand. If I drink enough Coors Light, I will be thin, have hair, attract thin blonde women up in the mountains, and I can wear shorts and short sleeves in the snow around a fire. Now, some of you have tried that. I just want to ask, does it work? Now, I asked this in the first service, and some guy held up his hand and pointed to his wife, and I didn't want to know, right? Okay. <laughs> but really, really? Now, now, they're just picking on beer, okay? Apparently, if I drive a certain kind of truck, I'll look like the guys on Yellowstone. <laughs> right? And how those guys look so good when they don't shave... I don't know how they do that. When I don't shave, I look like I've been drinking Coors Light for five days. <laughs> Those are lies to convince us to buy things, and here's the amazing reality, we do it. So what instead would happen in your life if you filled your life with the truth of Jesus? How do you do that? Paul is very practical here, very practical. He says you fill your life with Jesus, with thoughts of Jesus, by first of all being under good teaching. You need good teaching from the scripture. What is good teaching? It is somebody explaining the scripture in a way that you can apply it to practical everyday life. That's good teaching. The second thing Paul says is that you need to admonish one another. Now that doesn't sound like a positive word, does it? Uh, according to the court dramas I have watched, 
Admonish means the judge is going to get on you. But the Greek word actually means someone who will strongly encourage you. Someone who will tell you the truth when it is complimentary and when it is convicting. Now, this is why you need a 3 a.m. friend. A 3 a.m. Friend, friend is not just there for you at 3 a.m. They will also tell you the truth. My mentor, John Ortberg, has a friend. They call each other every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they check in, and they use the Ten Commandments as a guide. And John's friend asked him, hey, John, are you putting God above everything? Hey, John, are, you're doing God's work, and you're doing it in God's name. Was God, would God approve? Hey, John, John, how are you doing with keeping Sabbath? Are you resting? John, you, I know you, you're not killing anybody, but how, how about hate? You got any hate in your heart? You got any anger you're not dealing with? Hey, John, John, how about coveting? Are you greedy? John, I know you're not going to be unfaithful, but how about lust? Are you staying as a good husband to your wife? And they check in. John asked his friend the same questions. You got a friend like that? You need one. And I think the best place to find a friend like that is in a life group. Now, I wish I could assign you a friend like this. In fact, I know a couple of you are eager to volunteer to be that friend in some people's lives, but I don't think if you're eager for the role, that's the role for you. These kind of friendships develop over time, and it takes spiritual vulnerability. But that's what, the, that's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to admonish one another, encourage one another, pat each other on the back when it's going right, and be able to actually say to somebody, hey, this isn't going right. You need to know this about yourself. I'll never forget that one service in the old church. Back then at 8.30, I would preach on the floor. The crowd wasn't that big, and I, I felt like I just had everybody spellbound. People were nodding up and down all through the sermon. I'm thinking, I am connecting today. We give the invitation, and, and back then when I stood down front, people would come forward, and one of the sweetest old ladies in our church, Miss Hannah Seymour, came down, and I thought, I've convicted somebody like Miss Hannah. Miss Hannah took my, my hand, and she whispered in, her, in my ear, just in her sweet, sweet Graham accent, and she said, Pastor, did you know your zipper is down? <laughs> you need somebody to tell you the truth. I'm here to tell you. So what would happen in your life if you filled your mind with thoughts of Jesus? Now, we're not done yet. We're just talking about admonishment. There's also wisdom. The best source of wisdom is the Scripture. It has stood the test of millennia. No other world religion, no other world religion has a written record that goes back as far as Christianity's. And we can trust this book. There's wisdom here. Read the stories of the Old Testament and the New. See what Jesus teaches us. You know, Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. We don't think of him that way. And then Paul teaches us that we're to sing songs. We're to sing psalms 
as in the book of songs, those were set to music back in the day. We're to sing hymns, not our kind of hymns, but, but songs of praise, and we're to sing songs, spiritual songs, that connect us to our Heavenly Father. Now, why is singing so important? Singing is important because it's a physical action expressing thought and emotion. I bet you've heard songs that made chill bumps go up and down your arms. Now, sometimes they're secular songs, right? They can be songs also of spiritual value. And you need to sing those songs. Now, you say, well, I can't sing. And believe me, I know that. I stood next to some of you. <laughs> so what you need to do, you need to get in your, your car. You need to get in. The, you, when you shower, you can buy these little speakers that are waterproof. You, when you are by yourself, you need to listen to some of this music that speaks to you. And by the way, music is morally neutral. I know people, they are spoken to by Christian rap, good for them. That is not my musical language. However, I can listen to box Yesu joy of man's desiring and I can feel the presence of God. I can also listen to Faith Hill sometimes and feel the presence of God. You need to find what is your musical language and let it work for you. And by the way, don't criticize because God speaks to somebody else with a different spiritual song. It's okay. It's okay. So what would happen in your life if you filled it with your thoughts with my, if you filled your thoughts with minds of Jesus? That's not bad either. If you filled your mind with thoughts of Jesus, if you were under good teaching, you had friends to admonish you, if you were able to to get wisdom in the scripture, study the Bible yourself, if you were able to sing these songs. See, this is one of the reasons I think Christians need church. We can't just do this on our own. We need the support and encouragement of one another. Now, let me go to the third question, move on. What's the standard? Everybody has a standard for making decisions. What's your standard? What's your standard? You may not even be aware of your standard. But in the thousands of decisions you make every day, you've got a standard. There were three preachers talking about the standard for setting the pastor's salary. And they were explaining how they determined their own salaries. And the first pastor said, well, after the service, I take a basket that has all the offering in it, and I go to my office, and I draw a circle, and I throw the offering up in the air, and what lands in the circle belongs to me, and what lands outside the circle belongs to God. And the second pastor says, you know, that's real interesting. I do something real similar, except when I throw it up in the air, what lands in the circle belongs to God, and what lands outside the circle belongs to me. And the third pastor says, well, that's just real complicated. Let me tell you what I do. I take that offering in the basket and I throw it in the air and what God wants, he keeps and the rest that falls to the floor is mine. (laughs) We do not do it that way at Alice Drive, okay? Let me just assure you. But everybody's got a standard for how they make decisions. You do. Well, listen to what Verse 17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you say, whatever you do, does Jesus approve? Now I'm convinced we don't ask Jesus 
his opinion of what we say or do because we don't want to hear it. Because we know if he tells us not to do something, that means, okay, now I'm accountable. So we just don't ask. But you really think that's a good strategy for building hope? I don't think so. If Jesus tells you not to do something, don't do it. I'll tell you something else this will will make us think about it, will make us actually pause before we speak and pause before we act. And that will help some of you not have the arguments in your marriage that you're having if you would actually pause and ask Jesus, what do you think I ought to say? It would change how you act in certain situations if you would pause and say, now Jesus, what's your opinion of this? I guarantee you Jesus didn't approve of the standard any of those three preachers had for determining their salary. Jesus, do you approve of this? What would happen in your life if you asked Jesus if he approved what you said you were going to do or what you said you were going to say? Last question, what's your attitude? What's your attitude? Um, Your attitude is intentionally steering your thoughts and feelings in a specific direction. So you've seen this, you've seen the same kind of tragedy happen to two different people and they react completely differently. Why? Completely different, excuse me. They act completely different, why? It's attitude. You can intentionally steer your thoughts, your feelings. That's attitude. What would happen if you had an attitude of gratitude? I want you to look at all three of these verses and look at what's present. In verse 15, we are told, be thankful. Verse 16, with gratitude in our hearts. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All three verses, same word, give thanks. Why is this so important? When you give thanks, you're remembering that the God who was at work in the past is at work in the present and will be at work in the future. Now you actually have to slow down and think about what do I have to be thankful for? What has God done for me? Sean Acor is a psychologist at Harvard and they wanted to see the impact of gratitude upon people. So, um, they, they got some, some, recruited some people to participate in the study, and it was very simply, for every day of this week, seven days, write down three things that you're grateful for. Take five minutes, write down three things you're grateful for. And this, this is not a, a, a real complicated study, is it? So they did that, and here's the interesting thing. You know, people did, sometimes they would write down, I'm thankful the Thai food tasted real good last night. Sometimes they wrote down, I'm just thankful my teenage daughter gave me a hug. And if you have a teenage daughter, you know to be thankful for those things. And at the end of that week of gratitude, all the participants, 100% of them, reported feeling more positive, more hopeful after a week of gratitude. They followed up with them one month later. All of the participants reported feeling, all of the, 100%, all reported feeling less stressed, less anxious 
from one week of gratitude. They followed up six months later, and they found that those who had participated felt more hopeful. You need to be grateful because it's literally good for your health. It's good for your soul. And you know, you don't have to go to Harvard to do this. You can do this right here. It's very simple. Take time to practice gratitude. I've been thinking about this. I've had to travel a good bit this week. I'm thankful that God protected me on the trips. There's some crazy people on the interstate. I got to see my grandson yesterday, and I'm so grateful when he sees me. He runs toward me. Well, he trots. He sort of waddles toward me with his arms stretched out. And I pick him up, and he lays his head down on my shoulder. He does this every time. And you know what the best part is? He doesn't do that with his Gigi. He just does it with me. Don't tell her I said that. You know, I'm thankful I get to preach God's word to you. It's a real privilege. Now, what would happen if you started this? What would happen in your life if you practiced gratitude? Now, all of this is building us toward a mindset of hope, that we will make decisions that will lead us to hopeful lives. And you may not realize it, but I've actually taught you this morning to do four things. First of all, surrender to Jesus and let him make decisions for you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you go to church, maybe you've been baptized, maybe you're a member of a church, but this is, this is different. This is actually saying, I want Jesus to forgive my sins and I want him to lead my life. If you surrender to Jesus and let him make decisions for you, what would happen in your life? I think you'd have more hope. I think you would. So do that. Here's the second thing. Intentionally fill your mind with Jesus' teaching. That means some of you need to prioritize studying the Bible. And you say, well, I just don't have time to study the Bible. You can get the U version of the app, U version. It's a Bible app. You can put it on your phone. Thousands of reading plans. But if that's too complicated, Get a Bible. If you don't have one, we will give you one in the next step room. Start reading the book of Proverbs. It's got wisdom. Whether you're a believer or not, it's got wisdom for you. You may need to make a commitment to sing. Okay? I know that seems weird, but this is the command. You may need to say, okay, I'm going to make an intentional commitment to actually participate more in church so I can worship, so I can have 3 a.m. friends who will talk to me about the tough things in life. And I just want to tell you, the older you get, the fewer people you have that will tell you the truth. And that's why you need these kind of people. It may be that that you really need to hear the part about asking Jesus if he approves of what you're doing. Some of you already know the answer. So you need to ask Jesus to help you begin doing the right things. Let him make those calls and actually approve of the way you're living your life. And I bet every one of you, you could improve your life by practicing gratitude. So I don't want to just leave you hanging with all this stuff. 
because I know it can be a little overwhelming, but I actually want us to do this. So we're going to do a prayer exercise to close the sermon today. So I want to invite you, if you would, to bow your heads, close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that. This just creates some space for you, some spiritual space. And I want to ask you a couple of questions, and you pray about them. Is there a decision in your life that's coming up that you need to surrender to Jesus and let him make that decision? Financial decision? Relational decision? Work decision? Do you need to let Jesus make that decision? Are you feeling convicted about filling your mind with the truth of Jesus? What do you need to do about that? Commit to reading the Bible? Making church regular, not sporadic? Do you need to make a commitment today to let Jesus approve what you're saying and doing? You're thinking about something that's coming up and you just want to say, Jesus, do you approve of this? And here's the last thing. Is there one thing you're grateful for? One specific thing. Heavenly Father, thanks for being a God of hope and making us people of hope. And I want to pray if there's anyone here who's never surrendered to Jesus that they would and they would invite him into their lives today, accept him as Savior and Lord, and that they then would Take the steps of following him. Be baptized. And I pray, Father, for those of us today who've already done that, but we really, really need to surrender all our decisions to you. I pray, God, for your truth to dwell in us so it guides us. And we submit our lives to you to approve of us. And we are grateful. We are grateful for all of your gifts. Now speak to each of us about our next steps. In Jesus' name I pray.